Hello and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Your Scandalous Ways by Loretta Chase. This was published in 2008 and is the first book in the Fallen Women series. And in case you're wondering why we are reviewing this book, after we finished A Rogue to Remember by Emily Sullivan, you may remember that we were like, wait, a spy in Venice? And then we were like, let's read another book about a spy in Venice. And Meg was like, I know a book about a spy in Venice. <laughs> you want a book about a half Italian, half British spy in Venice? I can, I can hook you up with that. Guys, this one was really good. It's Lisa Kleypas, though. I mean, sorry, fuck. It's Lord Chase, though, so, like, had my number. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, you know we love Loretta, so. no. Okay, first spy. of all, bilingual spy. Second of all, Loretta Chase. Third of all, Venice. Fourth of all, jewelry and clothes. Oh, my God, so much jewel porn. Like, oh, my God, you guys. So amazing. I love this book. So what is this book about? James Cordier is all blue blood and entirely dangerous. He's a master of disguise, a brilliant thief, a first-class lover, all for king and country, and by God, he is so weary of it. His last mission to acquire a packet of incriminating letters from one notorious woman then he can return to London and meet sweet-natured heiresses, not adventuresses and fallen women. Francesca Bernard has weathered heartbreak, scorn, and scandal. She's independent, happy, and definitely fallen. And she's learned that gentlemen are more trouble than they're worth. She can also see that her wildly attractive new neighbor is bad news. But as bad as James is, there are others Far worse, also searching for Francesca's letters. And suddenly, nothing is simple, especially the nearly incendiary chemistry between the two most jaded, sinful souls in Europe. And just as suddenly, risking everything may be worth the prize. Obsessed <laughs> with this jacket. This jacket is fine. I, I actually. One, like love the paragraphs about James and Francesca. Mm-hmm. No issues with them. The last oh, one. Yeah, he's so weary of it. Yeah, I get it. the last paragraph. Fine, I guess you need to talk about the plot, like looking for the letters or whatever. But all you need it's- to know is that James and Francesca, like who they are, and that they are what make this book. Yeah. And he's, uh, this is a really good jacket to me in that you understand his motivation, you understand her motivation, you understand what's bringing them together and what the obstacle is. He's there as a spy looking for her letters. That is both the justification and the obstacle. I'm not saying it's the best jacket I've ever read, but I am saying if you read this jacket and you're like, I want to read that book, you're right. Yeah, definitely. What did you write, Lane? You had 25 words to write your own summary. I did. Master of disguise falls for a fallen woman who sees right through him. Jewel thievery, espionage, and sumptuous clothing made this a ton of fun. That's, that, that is everything that we loved about this book, yes. I agree. What was yours? 
two master manipulators meet and immediately attempt to manipulate each other. They're perfect for each other, but admitting it means having to feel actual emotions. There's been a couple of books that Meg has said to me afterward, like, man, these characters are so shallow, but I love this. Yes. And I think this is my favorite example of it. Yes, I agree. About one of the Penny Royal Green books, and mm-hmm. there's another that I'm forgetting now, but I really, like, neither of these people are at all relatable. Mm-mm. And they are both so flippin' shallow. Yes. And I don't care. I love this book so much. Exactly. And I, we're not talking about how they're shallow with hidden depths. Like, yeah, sure, he's a spy for his country, and, you know, he's he's doing the right thing. Sure. But he also is, like... And just total, he, he is a total Regency James Bond. Yes, like totally emotionally disconnected. Yes. It's so good. It's so good. I don't even know what the main, so Megan and I talked about this leading up to this episode. This is not a tropey book, which is funny because it's such a romance novel. Mm-hmm. But there isn't like a main trope he's a spy and she's his mark in a way. Yeah. But it's not her specifically. He doesn't think she's a bad guy. Right. He's just, he, he's got to manipulate her to get what he wants, which are these letters. And so the entire time that he meets, every time he meets her, he's evaluating her. He's looking for a weakness. He's looking for a way in. And he meets her for the first time several times. And it is so good. Uh, I loved every single one. Every single one of the times where he met her for the first time was so great. And the fact that she, like, didn't pick up on it, but every single version of him, she was like, oh, my God, those shoulders and that chest. <laughs> oh, I was like, oh, every time she sees it, she's like, oh, those thighs. <laughs> yeah, but, like, that body on that man. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Italy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she's like the she sees him as a he's masquerading as a servant at the opera. And she's like, that's a well-built servant right there, you know. <laughs> and then he he pretends to be a Spanish nobleman who uh, jumps onto her gondola. A Spanish nobleman gigolo. Yes. Yes. A Spanish nobleman gigolo who, you know, jumps on her gondola to escape from a, a husband you know who, who well came. and like any good book set in Venice most of the action in this novel happens on gondolas and I'm not mad about it thank you Loretta Chase <laughs> for writing this book it's so good you guys I just spent the whole time like beaming and happily cackling out loud yeah like that was my experience reading this book was like yay yeah were there any other tropes I mean there was a they made a sex bet they did about how long someone could resist the other. Yeah. But the terms were not very clearly established. No. And the, it's, it's not one of the sex bets that like takes place over the entire book. Nah. It doesn't last long. Obviously as a spy, he has several hidden identities. She has an evil ex. She has an evil ex. He has an evil ex sort of not really a Mark who he, who wants to get revenge on him. She has a surprise parent, which is more common than it should be. <laughs> True. And um, I, I don't know if this is a trope or if this it's is so just, a trope. It's okay. a trope? Okay. The outside sex on a landmark is not specifically a trope. But think about the, like, 
chased Peck on top of the Eiffel Tower in the Lady Traveler series. Mm-hmm. I feel like a big romantic moment on top of a landmark trope. That being being um, sex, like, doggy style over the balustrade? No, that part's kind of unique. Yeah. So Meg and I they, keep both putting our hands up in, like, the shrug emoji made manifest with like, everything they, we say about what? this book. Exactly. Like I don't know what else you want in a book because this just gave it to you. If you want to read a book about a spy in Venice, this book is like gonna hit every spot you didn't know you had. Seven, 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 <laughs> seven. So yes, this is just as good as a book can get if you want to read a spy historical romance by Loretta Chase set in Venice. Awesome. And okay. this is not like the spy book where you fall in love with the deep spy. No, no, no. No, James is not Ingram. James is not Ramses. No. This is not like you fall for these characters. This is this plot is sexy and funny and fun. I actually care a lot less about the main couple than I think Meg and I usually do. Like we're always espousing that give us a couple and we'll forgive a lot of sins. The couple here is not my typical jam. Mm-hmm. But the book surrounding it is, like, it's so good. Yeah. So, we, yes, we totally just said that these are shallow people and blah, blah, blah. Loretta Chase is not a shallow writer. So she has all these references to Byron. So actually each um, chapter is prefaced by a short um, excerpt from one of Byron's poems. Well, Francesca also was apparently one of Byron's muses. Yes, yes, but she never let him. Francesca is a courtesan, guys. I just want you to know. I don't. I don't oh, but we forgot that. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know if that was mentioned. I, I just want to point out. So she, but so she was one of Byron's muses, but she never allowed him to keep her because he was always so poor, <laughs> which is um, historically accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but what I think, what I really think is unique and special about this book is the setting like the feeling for the time and the place that you get it it's it's not just venice it's venice and it's not regency it's venice you know during the the romantic era byron's a romantic poet right so this is like romantic poetry venice yes so it's awesome it's vibrant too yeah i think a lot of times when we see world tours in these 1800s romance novels, the foreign cities are supposed to suffer by comparison Mm -hmm. or they're a gritty reality check in a way. This is not that this is Venice at its most vibrant and colorful and exciting. And it was like the, my favorite adjective for this book and I stuck it in my summary is sumptuous. This is such a sumptuous visual book. Well, there are at least two scenes set at the opera. Mm -hmm. And the way it's described uh, is it's it's really fascinating because you know that Lorde Chase has done all this research about how people would go to the opera and what they would do and what the boxes looked like and how they might act. And it's it's really, really neat to read. So, 100%. Yeah. 
Uh, we talked about this in A Rogue to Remember as well. But yeah, James is half British, half Italian. And his Italian is like real good. But I'm willing to give you a pass on having speaking Italian like a native if your mom was Italian. Exactly. Exactly. So, and then Francesca does speak Italian, but she has a British accent, which he thinks is like so cute when she mispronounces words. <laughs> and I'm like, this is um, so accurate. Yes. And she also speaks French, but not super well. She has a French maid. Mm-hmm. And they talk about how she has an American accent when speaking French. Like, she's clearly educated and intelligent, but they don't try to make it, like, exceptional. Yeah. So, I love that. And he's a spy, so, like, whatever. Yeah. You know, he had to be good at languages. He was Once embedded. Gonna, yeah. No, he, it's, like, it was programming of some kind. I'm not, I'm not questioning it. <laughs> So one of the things we talk about in the podcast is about how we don't love it when one of the members of the couple is lying to the other one. But James is lying to her for like a good three quarters of this book. And I just did not care. Okay. I didn't either. (laughs) One, shockingly, when he actually makes her acquaintance to stay in her acquaintance, he uses his real name and real identity. Mm-hmm. So he's lying to her about why, but not anything else. Mm-hmm. And she's not lying to him too. But I think the fact that she is a working courtesan who is looking for her next paramour and knows he's a second son who's not actually interested in procuring her for that purpose. Like it sort of makes it more palatable because it's not like she's in love with him and thinking they're going to be something they're not like. So as much as I wish they'd been on the same team sooner, always like that's, I, it didn't bother me here in the same way because it's not like they were on different pages about what they were. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I found fascinating about this book is that when when you're in their heads, and so this is, you know, traditional third person limited, but switches perspectives between the two of them. Um, when you're in each of their heads, they each of them are thinking about how they're going to manipulate the other one. Like, how do I want him to act? What do I want him to do? What should I say? Oh, he's mm-hmm. going to do this, so I'm going to do that. So they're they're playing this m- mental chess, but about trying to predict the other one's actions. Yes. And trying to get the other ones to to the other person in the couple to act the way they want them to. And I think seeing that they are so similar in that way is what made you as a reader be like, okay, yes, I can see them as a couple. Yes, definitely. So I don't know. I, I just, I, I love, he goes to see her and he's like, okay, I want her to do this. So I have to act this way, but then she doesn't act the same way. She does this other thing or anyway. When I love how much of it is like Italian fiery temper stereotypes. I loved it. But, and I loved, I loved that he like thought about it. So there was a time where they had a big fight, right? Big fight dramatics hands flying all over the place and she just storms off like stomps away 
And he stands there like, geez, Louise, these people are so crazy, you know. And um, the Italian servants are all standing around watching him, like, waiting for him to go after her. And he's like, God, he's like, they want me to go after her. These Italians are so hot-headed. And he's like, you know what? I'm Italian, too. And then he just he just goes after her speaking Italian, you know, like. <laughs> there are so many overdramatic, insane moments that, like, I don't find romantic, but I found so funny and cute. Exactly. In this context. Yes. Also, I will always give props when they're due to characters with rich exterior lives. He doesn't really have one because spy, so yeah. I'm willing to give it a pass. But she has this one really close female friend who is also a courtesan, and the two of them are a hoot. They are so funny. Um, I loved, so Francesca is super witty. She always has, like, this these great comebacks and great things to say. This, that, that's always fun to read. So regardless of what you're reading, um, if you have a character who has, like, really witty, really funny lines, that's great. Sometimes I'm like, wow, this person is like really witty. And I don't, I don't know if I buy it, but I still like reading it. In this case, I was like, this is how she makes her living. Like she has to be witty and funny and make people laugh. So I was like, I, it just made total sense for her to be that way too. And I also love that they made the point that like, she wasn't a great beauty in English society. She was attractive. Like no one was downplaying that. And clearly money and the wardrobe and cultivating her looks and her like general aesthetic and makeup and whatever did wonders for her. But I love the way they put the emphasis on what made her the most expensive woman in Venice wasn't a pretty face. She had one, but it was the wit and the allure of her as a person beyond just her looks. Yeah. I, I just thought it was great. It was perfect. I also loved how they, at the beginning of their relationship, and I don't know if I would call it a relationship, at the beginning of their, mm, when they start, when they meet each other, they're immediately attracted to each other. And I love how Francesca is like, like, yeah, he's hot, but I, this is not the kind of guy I want to attract. He's not going to pay me money. Like, I wish I wasn't attracted to him. And he feels the same way. He's like, oh, I wish that my mark was someone else, someone like a little bit less complicated, a little bit less hard to understand because now I'm going to have to like spend time and like think hard about this. I don't know. I just like how both of them were like, ugh, why do I have to be attracted to this one? You know? Right. And, and for him, especially his life as a spy has been so messy that it's not that he's looking for like a good English girl to continue his family line or whatever, like the normal romance trope would be. He's just looking for someone not complicated. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Francesca is not that. She's yep. a divorcee and a courtesan, and she has these letters the crown needs, and she refuses to be easy. Mm-hmm. There are so many really funny, great scenes where she's like absolutely dramatic, just to prove a point that I loved so much. I loved it. And then my final note just says in all caps, the jewel porn, because guys. Okay. So the book opens with James on a mission that involves having sex with a woman. He can't stand to steal her jewelry. Mm -hmm. These emeralds are described in great detail. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Francesca has a jewel collection. They describe amethysts, rubies, emeralds, diamonds. I I also love the way that jewelry plays a part in the end. Yeah. Like what woman wouldn't just take the jewels is actually a thought people have. Well, and Lane and I were both like, uh, yeah. Correct. Right? Well, and I also love, so I feel like this is the non-spoiler-free version. We talked all the time in Bridgerton about how pissed we were. Daphne just left the Prince's necklace on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Let's just say there is a necklace involved in the ending here. But your ass, Loretta Chase, tells the reader what happened to that necklace. Mm-hmm. It's not just, like, forgotten about somewhere. Well, one of my favorite parts about this book is they're going out on a secret mission. And, and Francesca goes out with him. And they go to leave, and he's like, you're wearing that? Because not only is she wearing, like, one of her nicest guns, she's got the jewelry, she's got the tiara. She's, she's ripping like, in pearls. It was. And she was like, what, go out underdressed? And I was like, thank you, Francesca. Like, this is, this is just what I wanted to read, you know? <laughs> it was perfect. Did anything offend you about this book? Okay, no, I was not offended. I think there is some content warning that we should talk about. Um, as Lane said, the book opens with James seducing another woman for her jewels and like forcing himself to be aroused, basically. <laughs> but for but for emeralds, for king and country and emeralds. He gives a whole new meaning to lie back and think of England. <laughs> the only meaning I accept. Um, he saves Francesca from what is pretty clearly a sexual threat and a violent threat beyond just that. So I didn't mind it here, and I'm the first person to go off, just because I think it was sort of very... Errol Flynn. Mm, Yeah. Like it was more swashbuckling cinematic. Yeah. And it wasn't, it also wasn't treated lightly. It's not like she was like, oh, someone tried to rape me. No big deal. Like she's clearly troubled by it, but it's on a gondola. He swims over. Like it's very much an attempt for him to play the hero. And I think I bought more into that visual than I did the specific threat. Yeah. Another great justification. There you go. Yeah. We, I mean, we said she was a courtesan. Francesca is a sex worker. So, I mean, that's, that's it. And I will say that it could be offensive to some readers. She refers to herself as a whore throughout the text. Um, he refers to her as a whore. Um, so that, that word is used relatively often, not pejoratively, I don't think. Um, Agree. And I, and I know Megan, I've also mentioned that we sometimes find the discourse around sex work as empowerment, especially in this era, a little bit disingenuous. Mm-hmm. In this case, her alternatives were worse. I, in this case, I really, I believed it. I believed it was a true choice on her part, you know, because she had other choices. And, yeah. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like live on the street or sell your body. It was, you know, live in disgrace. Mm-hmm in a nice Paris neighborhood. You know what I mean? Right. Or make myself the most famous courtesan in Europe 
And so I, I don't think it had as many of the problematic themes as books focused on sex works can sometimes have, sex workers can sometimes have for Meg and I, but obviously it is relevant. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Uh, I mean, no. This no. is a romp. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's hard to take anything about this book very seriously. So, th okay. I will say, this is not offensive. It's not even a content warning. I just want to point out, there there were parts in this book where James has to go interrogate someone who's in prison. And I was like, oh, this really could have hit my low point, which is I really dislike any reference to torture, especially that's tried to be justified. And in this case, the way he tortures the guy is by saying, I'm going to tell your boss that you told me that you squealed, basically. Like, that was it. There was no torture, you know, nothing. It was it was just, again, like this master manipulation, which I was like, oh, okay, I'm done with that. So. How sexy was this book? I mean, I don't know if this is the sexiest book Loretta Chase has ever written. But it does include a sex scene on top of St. Mark's Clock Tower. And the bells start ringing when they climax. So I'm also not saying it's the sex, and not saying it's not the sexiest book she's ever written. So I'm just going to point that out. You know, everything Meg said is accurate, and I can't top it. In terms of level of graphic, like there are some, there are some clear sex scenes mm -hmm. that are pretty well described. Um, but I think there isn't a whole lot of them emotion wrapped up in sex for these characters in a way that like I actually thought was really fun but I think because ultimately these characters weren't people I felt like I was meant to get really bought into yeah because this book was more about like the arc of the story than the relationship building to a degree it also wasn't like the steamiest most sensual sex I've read in a romance novel because it was always meant to be like Meg said, the most one of the most graphic scenes, the bells are ringing as they're climaxing. Like there's there's a funny thrown into the sequence. It's it's not meant to be this like erotically charged, yeah. intense sequence. Well, and like just to point out too, so after this happens, the bells ringing and they both are like, "Wow, that was really cool." And she was like, "Well, that was really romantic." Okay, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> she leaves. <laughs> And she's on a gondola. Guys, guys, read this. This book is just really fun. It's really fun. This is, I, I don't know how else to describe it than fun because the, the entire thing from start to finish, the conversations are fun. The situations are fun. The setting is fun. The sex is hilarious. Like, it's just great. I like this book. You guys check it out. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and check us out on Goodreads and Instagram at Pontrus.